Uh, for those who are joining us, we are, we've been going through a study um, as we've been asking some very difficult questions um, in our series called Struggling to Believe. And so we're going to continue to do that. Uh, we're going to ask some tough questions. And I, I believe that the reason why this, uh, I, I believe, will be helpful for us is that we have many of those same questions, and maybe not every question we bring up today or through this time is, is a question that you have struggled with or you're struggling with now, um, but many of them are, and some of them are at the core of our understanding about God and understanding about ourselves, and until we kind of flesh those out, uh, we wander around and we don't have the same kind of love for God that we should. We, we truly believe that, uh, that we can examine our faith and that we can consider the things of this world and look at Scripture and know that we're going to be all right. So we're, we're okay with asking difficult questions here in the church because we have found that God has been faithful to answer this for us. And many of us have asked these difficult questions. So part of what, what I'd like to do today is, is this is good for those who are in the fold or those who are believing. Um, to maybe rehearse some of these things. I don't know about you, but I find that, you know, God has answered so many of my questions that I've had about faith and about myself and about himself, and I have those same questions that keep coming back. Do you all have the same thing? It's like, okay, didn't, I already, didn't we already solve this like six years ago? But here it is again. My context may be different, but I had the same question. So it's great for us to go over these as believers and re refresh ourselves and to be encouraged and maybe even learn more that we didn't know before. But this is also for those who are, who are seriously searching out what the truth really is. And maybe even for those who aren't so serious in searching. That today, uh, as you may be listening in this room or as you may be listening um, on our website. And as you hear these things, I think maybe they may be changing your mind as you hear um, a different perspective. One of the difficult things that uh, I think Justin and I have in preaching through this series, though, is that we want to be faithful to the questioner uh, and not to just have all the answers, but to say, what is really the question? And what are the things that, that we are all struggling with and we want to know about God? So I'm going to try I'm going to try to, as best I can, ask some faithful questions um, and give some faithful answers. And so I'm not going to get all the questions probably that you have about this topic. And the topic has to do with can a loving God also be wrathful? And packed within that question are 20 other questions. And so I'm not going to probably get to cover all of the uh, we only have, they only want me really to be speaking less than 30 minutes here or 45 minutes. So, uh, so we won't be here till four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we're probably going to answer all those questions. But as you listen, um, if you have other questions that you like to pose during the week, we'd love to hear those. Uh, you can go to info at redeemerbrenham.org and we'd love to communicate that way as well. Uh, and, uh, uh, or, or to email us at, at info at redeemerbrenham.org. We'd love to know, these, know what you're thinking. So here's the big question today. Can there be a God? Is it reasonable to believe that there is a God that is loving on one hand, but that he's also wrathful on the other? Can a God be loving and just? many questions that go with that as well. Then if there is a God who is loving, 
Can he, in his justice, send people to hell? And is that hell a lingering thing? Is it maybe what we've heard about? It's this horrible thing that lasts forever. Could a loving God do that? Could God create a people, a loving God create a people that were destined for that eternal misery? Is, it, is the God of Christianity, does it God, the God of Christianity say that God is loving, but on the other hand, we see in his story, well, that he's commanded the children of Israel in the Old Testament to destroy whole cities of seemingly innocent people. Does that, is that a reasonable kind of belief? Have you had any of those questions before? Has that ever crossed your minds? Yeah, me too. Another question is why, if God is who he says he is, the Christian God, why is God so offended by sin? Why is sin so bad that it would require this kind of excruciating and enduring punishment? And why is it, does it seem like that God's rules are somewhat arbitrary? I think especially in our day and age, as people come at the, the God of the Bible, they have to say, I don't understand why those things are a big deal. Like, uh, you know, how people deal with each other, how they deal with each other in, in intimate relationships, uh, your identity. Why, are there, why does the Bible speak so harshly about those things? Many times that don't even seem to affect anybody else. So like the things that it's saying that I'm doing, and the things that I'm doing are not really hurting anybody else. How could that be a problem? Why, why judgment for that? It seems like some of the laws and restrictions are very arbitrary and at least archaic and don't match with today. Is it reasonable to believe all the things that the Christians are saying about God? Does it make sense? So to approach this, this is what I'd like to try and do today. I'd first like to say, let's start with the Bible. We're going to start with the question, what, what does God say about himself? What is, the, what is his history throughout uh, throughout Scripture, how does he actually work in, the, in this kind of context of justice and love? And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about judgment according to the biblical perspective. And then for those who are, are especially are skeptics of this, I, I want you to know we're going to come back to and say, okay, but is that reasonable? Is that something that makes sense? Is it logical that that could be the case? So, Let's start with what the Bible says to understand, like, what are Christians really saying about who God is? And so we see in Psalm 9, 7 through 8, I hope that we have it up there. What does God say about himself? He says, it says in Psalm 9, 7, 8, God's word, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness he judges the peoples with uprightness. 
So the picture of God in Psalm 9 is that he sits on a throne. And who sits on a throne but someone who is the king, who is the sovereign. He is the one that is looking over all things. He is judging what is right and what is not right. And he is saying so. This is the justice. This is also the, the consequences. This is what is going to happen because of injustice in the world. He is going to accomplish righteousness. So the picture in Psalms is very much as maybe some had feared. He is a God who says that he is just. And he, his position is that of judgment. He's sitting on a throne judging. That's the picture of God. So we can't say the Bible says anything other. It, it's very clear. God is a God who judges. But then you look in, in 1 John 4, 8, the second half of that says very clearly, God is love. If you want to know who God is, you want to know who his disciples are? The disciples are those who follow after God and act in a loving way. If you want to know who God is, God is, very succinctly, God is love. So there's no doubt that the Bible is teaching there is a God who is loving his nature, his attribute, who he is. He is loving. On the other hand, he is a God who sits in judgment, and that is who he is too. How do those things work together? Look at Isaiah 30, 18. How can those things happen at the same time? Well, the Bible says they do somehow. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So, there should, be no, there should be no doubt the Bible is saying this very thing. There is a God who is a God of justice and a God of love at the same time, in the same moment. He doesn't stop doing one to do the other. They are both happening at the same time. Right? Okay. I know. We got some splaining to do. Both at the same time. Not only does the Bible say this, not only is God saying this about himself, the psalmists are writing, the prophets are writing, but we also see this is part of his history. This is what he does. What happens in Genesis? When all of creation, we, we see from the very first sin of Adam and Eve, the, the, the depth of the sin increasing in the sin of Cain and Abel, and then we see not too long after that, the sin just becomes like rampant. So much so, the Bible says that Men's thoughts were only evil all the time. That's all they could do. They could just think evil thoughts. And they were living them out. And they were violent. And they were not just. And they didn't take care of the poor. And, and there's this, this, the whole creation was like burning. And what is God's response to that? God doesn't say, it's okay. God says, I'm going to destroy. In fact, the words are, I'm going to repent from creation. I'm going to turn around from creating and I am going to destroy. And you realize all of creation is wiped out. God is a God who judges and is wrathful to an extreme degree. And then we have to wonder about a God then who sends out the children of Israel to claim this land as his own and to take over city after city and destroy who's ever there. 
God himself works under a construct that confirms that there is a need for judgment. There is a need for wrath. There is also an opportunity for forgiveness and sacrifice. God believes in these things. He understands this is the way the world is. This is the way he's created it. We would like maybe to say, can it all be peaches, you know? Can, every, can it all be love? Couldn't God have created a world where there was no sin? You asked that one, haven't you? Maybe so. Maybe God did. And in fact, there wasn't sin at the beginning. Well, couldn't God have kept Adam and Eve from eating the apple or the banana or whatever, kiwi? Couldn't he just stop that? Maybe he could have. But according to the witness of Scripture, he didn't. This is his story. And so sin has, has caught fire and the whole place is burning. But God believes, and God works within this construct of judgment and wrath, forgiveness and sacrifice. So much so that he has bound himself to this creation that he has made. He's, he says, this is the way it is. This is how the universe is. This is how I've created the universe. So much so that he says, the world is dead. There is no way out. The only way that, that, will, that we can find a way, that there can be a way out of that, is for God to come down and for his son to take all of that wrath on himself. I think God is pretty committed to this. This is the way it is. That his son would face the ultimate penalty on the cross and be beaten in, in a horrible, horrible death. And so God... God works within this construct. This is the reality. There is, a, there is injustice. There is sin. There's also forgiveness and grace. He works within the construct. You see that? He is a God of love, a God of justice. And here's the beautiful story of Christianity. That God is all loving and all just. And so he sends his son to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of all those sins because he loves, he loves us. And, and, and for those who are, are considering Christianity, I want you to consider this for a moment. This is our God. He is all just, all righteousness, all holiness, and he is all loving, and that all comes together at the cross so that we might be at peace with him. He paid it all. He paid it all. That's the good news of Christianity. He loves, he shows mercy and grace, and he's just all at the same time. So this is how God has worked in history. This is how he's working right now. He's offering that gift of, of faith 
that grace to us that those who come after him will have eternal life and be at peace, that our sins will be forgiven. He's going to, he created justice in his son. And he's promised now the righteousness of his son is now imputed to those who have faith in him, who bend the knee to him, who submit to him. He's going to give that righteousness to those people. So they now have a holiness that was not their own. And we almost shy away from it. Like, how can that be mine? I don't deserve it. Exactly. God is a God who's full of love. And he's just showering, showering us with his righteousness. And so when the Father sees us, he doesn't see what we did this last week. He sees his Son. And we carry the coat of Jesus, the coat of righteousness, not of our own. That's some good news today. Somebody, somebody I'll be j- jumping up and down and saying hallelujah. That's good news. That's, that's the Christian God. That's the Christian God. This is, this is, to say, this is how he says that he fulfills both justice and love. But it's not just in the past, it's not just in the present, but in the future as well. That there is a time that is coming that will be a time of justice, a time when all will be judged. In Daniel 12, verses 1 through 2, we see what the Bible says. It says this, At that time shall arise Michael, this great archangel, the great prince who is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since, has been since there was a nation, a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This has been the story all along. There is going to be a time of judgment. There will be a separation for those who are counted as just and those who are unjust. Those who have bent the knee to our Lord and those who have not. And that there will be a separation of those people in judgment. And there are those who will go to heaven and those who will go to hell. We saw a little bit earlier in Romans 1, Justin read for us, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. There is eternal life with God and eternal separation. It's been... For some generations now, this is a, a, a hard-to-grasp truth. Oftentimes when, when the world thinks, that those who are not like within the fold, they think about heaven and hell. You know, oftentimes I, I, I would guess that a picture of a demon with a pitchfork, you know, and a tail pops into mind. Or on the other side, there is like a, a booth, like a, a little table there, and there's St. Peter, and he's got wings on in front of a big gate. And he is kind of choosing who gets to come in and, and who doesn't. The pictures of hell in the Bible are, are much more ghastly. There is burning and there is suffering, and it lasts for an eternity. 
And to be honest, we don't know exactly what all this means. And I hope none of you ever find out. Because there is a place for those who, as Romans 1, 18 said, have suppressed the truth. Romans 1, 8, uh, chapter 1 says, you can look at creation and you can tell there's a God, but what we have done is we have created all kinds of things to suppress that truth. We've even created our own things, our own gods, made things with our own hands that consume our time, our energy, our focus, our hope, our dreams, and we've built those things up. And because we've done that, there's going to be a time in which, since we have not looked to God for our salvation and we look for these things, there will be a judgment. You know, Karl Marx uh, is famous for writing about uh, religion as the opiate of the masses, right? It's a drug that you take so that you might forget all of what, re what reality is and that you might in some way just uh, be pacified. It's a, a pacifier of the masses. And that there really is nothing beyond what you can see. This is a, a popular belief even today that, that at the end of your life, there's nothing. You, you, you stop. Czeslaw uh, Maslow is a, a Nobel Prize winning Polish writer. And he wrote in a little article, the discreet, the discreet Charms of Nihilism. He says this. And now we are witnessing a transformation. A true opium of the people is a belief in nothingness. He's saying it's not, not religion. But the true opium is a belief in nothingness after, after death. The huge solace of thinking our betrayals, greed, cowardice, murders are not going to be judged. But all religions recognize that our deeds are imperishable. The spirit of the age says, it won't come back and haunt you. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. At the end, there's nothing. But he's saying here, that's not true. All religions understand that no matter what religion you are, that your sins, your misdeeds last for eternity. And you with them. And the beauty of Christianity says they don't have to. Okay, we're going to finish with this. Are these reasonable beliefs? Isn't it reasonable, this God of, of Christianity being a God who is all loving, but also who is just? You know, as we ask that question, um, you have to wonder, are you okay with judging? That's a popular thing, not to be too okay with judging. Don't judge me, right? But we judge all the time. In fact, that's the, the, the main complaint that we have, that things aren't fair. You know, the pe same people who are saying that, oftentimes you have to stop and say, but aren't you saying everything you, around you is not fair? That's the problem. People are not just to you. They don't appreciate who you are. You want justice when your, your boss uh, doesn't give you the raise that he promised to give you? You want justice, right? When your car gets stolen, you want justice? We all do. 
It's natural to say that we don't believe in the context, this, this structure of a need for justice is foolishness. We all believe it. We all want justice. Others will say that if God is a God of wrath and he calls his people to be wrathful, shouldn't we be a wrathful people? Shouldn't we be free to do, well, to take our own justice on other people? The truth is actually the inverse, of the flip of that. You see, because we believe that there will be a final judgment, we don't have to take wrath on anybody. Amen? We don't have to mete out our own justice. We don't have to, to make sure that everything is fair here on earth because we believe that there's a God who sits on his throne and one day everything is going to be right. And what you find is you take justice in your own hands, we only mess things up. We really, we really believe in justice. We say we want a God who's just loving, but we also, deep down, we want justice. Is it possibly possible to be loving and wrathful at the same time? Uh, many of you are parents. Do you ever find yourself loving and wrathful and un not think you're unrighteous at all, right? There, there are reasons for us I mean, we, we love our children, but some of the things they do need to incur our wrath. They need to know this is wrong. This will destroy you. This destroys other people. And so there is punishment. There is justice in our homes, I hope. We really believe that you can be loving and wrathful at the same time. This looming justice that God has for us also makes us aware. Like, there is someone watching. So I would have to say, it seems to me that this belief in God's justice and love is reasonable. Now, for the skeptic listening today, we'll close with this. There's probably some more questions that you have. And maybe we didn't hit on every one of those topics right now. But I want to encourage you. There's a man named Paul. And Paul was the greatest persecutor of Christians. It's not that he just didn't agree. He went to kill people who he disagreed with. He was pretty serious about this, right? Paul was. And one day while he's on the road to do that very thing, he's on the way to, to kill more Christians, on the way, Jesus appears to him. And he speaks to him. And he says that he is the Son of God. And Paul believes. Now, did Paul have all the answers in that moment? No, he didn't. In fact, I'm sure he had lots more doubts and things to work out. Like, how can this be if this is just like a reasonable person should? Just like you are reasonable people. And those who are listening are reasonable people. And just because you don't have all of it worked out doesn't mean you shouldn't have faith. And in fact, I think anyone in this audience who says, I've got it all figured out, 
We need to work on that one, don't we? Because we don't, right? We have to take some things by faith because we only have a limited mind, <laughs> limited understanding. Some things God has not uh, divulged to us. There's still some mysteries. But we believe by faith. And so you might say, well, you know what? That's great for Paul because Jesus appeared to him. Jesus never appeared to me. But you saw the, the whole of, uh, of Judaism. You saw all the people in Jerusalem, the people who come to worship, as they had seen and talked to those who had seen the resurrection. Thousands came to faith, not because they had seen Jesus, but because they had talked to the witnesses who had seen the risen Jesus. And so they could, could, they could believe and they trusted. And so for us here, we are going on the testimony of others that there is a risen Savior, that God has done that very thing. All loving and all just has sent his son to die on the cross and he is resurrected and alive and he offers life to all of us. If you say, I, don't, I didn't get to see Jesus like Paul saw Jesus. If someone would just appear to me, if someone would just tell me, and I want to tell you, here it is. Here's the testimony. Here's the witness. Jesus has come. God has sent him that we might have resurrection and life. He is all loving. He's all just. And he calls us into this beautiful relationship with him that we might have peace and eternity forever and ever. Amen. Will you believe? Will you stop making up a new construct of what the world might look like? And if you really spent more than 10 minutes, you could poke all kinds of holes in that construct. This is the way. This is the hope, and this is life. Let's pray.